is a Woodside Church podcast. Thank you for that very warm welcome. Yes, I hope I don't have to see you in A&E, but if, if you do come, I'll serve you with a smile and look after you. Um, it's such a privilege to be here this morning, and I am, I am bringing to a close the Romans 8 series that we've been looking at. If you were privileged enough to be here last week to hear Tim speak, he served us so well and did an amazing, superb preach, to the point where partway through I turned to my husband Adam and said, and I'm going to follow this, but follow I shall, and you're all coming with me. Um, So as we bring it to a close, I'm just going to do a bit of a recap of some of the key themes that have come out of the chapter of Romans 8. Um, There's been six weeks of it, and this chapter itself is full of so many rich truths and privileges that we have as Christians that Jesus has achieved for us. Um, we have looked at how there is now no condemnation for those in Jesus. And basically what that means is that through the sin that we commit, actually that sin causes distance between us and God. And there is um, that sin, there's a price to be paid for it, but God says that that has been dealt with through Jesus on the cross. Also within this chapter, it's talked about how we have been made spiritually alive. So before Jesus' work on the cross, effectively we were enemies of God. We lived a hostile life towards him. We were unable to have a friendship with him. But the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and brought us to life and brought this friendship back between us and God. He hasn't just said, you're my friend. He's also said that you are now a child of God. You are one of God's children. And within that, you also will receive all the inheritance that Jesus would have as well, um, that all the privileges of being his children are now yours, but not just yours to keep, yours to help spread the gospel, tell others about Jesus, and ultimately transform the world. We have also been given this eternal hope, this greater perspective of, actually, we don't just live for today. Our lives very much matter, but they fall within this small spectrum of, actually, great eternity. And now we've got this hope um, that we live for, that actually one day we will be reunited with God to face to face and that he is making all things new. Also, we covered that how the Holy Spirit, he, when we can't, when we don't know what to pray, he is at, at work within us and he almost translates our prayers with groans and longings into the ear of God and he prays on our behalf and you know we're not on our own in our struggles and though we may feel like within ourselves things aren't quite right um, but actually he helps us pray through those things as well and also as Tim preached last week how God is turning all, is working all things for the good of those who've been called according to his purposes, that God is at work in all of our lives. So that's a brief summary of what we've looked at already. Some people, like John Piper, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's a theologian, um, would say that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible because of all the privileges that it lets us in on that we now have as Christians. 
Um, yet it may be surprising to know that within this great crescendo of an end to a phenomenal chapter, actually, Paul is describing some of the most challenging trials and hardships that we may face. And so I just want to say right at the beginning that if that I will touch on sensitive subjects, um, a lot to do with my own life, but I just want to make you aware that actually I am going to talk on sensitive subjects. We're all family here. If you need to lean over to the person next to you and wipe your eyes with their sleeve, go for it. You know, I'm not intending to make anyone cry, but just to let you know that we will cover that. The context of Romans is that it's written by Paul. Paul is someone who used to be a persecutor of Christians. He used to stand and hold the coats of people as they lob stones at Christians, that he was an enemy of the church, he hated God, and yet one day God in his mercy appeared to Paul and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And actually that moment of realising Jesus is real and Jesus is God transformed his life and he became the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. And he God revealed so much truth to him that we now have, are able to read in the Bible through his letters. And he wrote to the church in Rome amazing, wonderful truths that we now have. Do you know what? My friend Debbie, too, she's at the other side. She said, there's something about standing at the pulpit that literally takes all the moisture out of your mouth. So bear with me a moment. She is very true. Um, okay, I'm going to pray. Okay, Lord Jesus, I thank you for how you are here with us, how you are in the midst of our worship, and this is only a continuation of that. We love you, God. We thank you for everything that you have done for us, and I pray that you prepare our hearts and strengthen us, Lord God, within our resolve, that when we face trials and hardships, that we know with certainty that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Amen. Okay, so let's read the verse today, verses. Romans eight thirty-five to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But in order for us to fully grasp the impact of the question, who shall separate us from the love of God, we're going to take a step back into some of the verses that, were, um, that are before these ones. So verse 33, it says, Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And even in the worship it came out, God has chosen you, okay? So that's important to remember. But we're gonna unpack a bit about what it means by justifies. When sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. It corrupted 
nature, creation, and it corrupted us as people. Um, it entered almost like into our DNA. Effectively, we are sinful be <coughs> beings. And this passed from generation to generation. But the problem is that sinful beings cannot live alongside a holy God. And we were made by God for relationship with him. And so that is a big problem. We've been made in the image of God. We've been made to know him, to worship him, to enjoy him, to find the purpose in our lives as part of him. And actually, if there's distance there, all of that gets a bit lost and murky and we get lost as, who are we? What is our purpose? You know, um, even struggling to find out our identity. Um, we were powerless to do anything about that. In fact, in fact the Bible said that, says that we were like sheep that had gone astray. We just all went off in our own direction and we didn't even necessarily want to know God. But yet God knows for us, it's the most important thing to be connected to him. So, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, in their mercy and love, came up with a plan, came up with a solution to deal with the problem of sin. Because sin needs dealing with, because the Bible says that the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. That is a problem. And it also, as God is a just God, punishment is deserved. But we would not be able to deal with that punishment. That would mean eternal separation from him. So the solution they came up with is that God himself would have to die. Jesus, the only one who could resist temptation, who could li live the perfect life for our sin, gave himself as a sacrifice. He became sin for us. And in that moment, he, as he suffered on the cross, taking on the punishment from, of our sin on him, God was pleased to pour out his wrath on him because it dealt with sin once and for all. And when he was on the cross, it wasn't just that he took on the punishment of our sin, that was taken off of all of you, all of me, what we deserve taken off of us. And he then gave us his righteousness. And what I mean by that is he gave us his right relationship with God. So we were no longer enemies of God. We're now welcomed into God's presence. Romans 4.25 says, He was... Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. And in doing so, by this act of God, we are now declared not guilty. And that is what it means by being justified. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. That is what this says. It is God who justifies. And in doing so, he has secured this salvation for us for all eternity because there's now no longer that divide of our sin that needs dealing with. We can now know friendship with God and all the privileges that come with that. Man did not initiate this. God initiated it. And God has chosen you. 
And because God has declared it and sealed it with the blood of Jesus on the cross, and the, that great exchange, the removal of our sin, the giving of righteousness, and being made in right relationship now with God, is secure. Our salvation is secure. There is no higher power, no greater argument that can come up against you in saying that you should now be declared guilty. Even your sin of tomorrow, which you've not even done, you are declared not guilty in the sight of God because he now looks at Jesus. Now, the topic of being chosen, that can be a bit of a tricky one to deal with, but Paul is making it clear in this verse that God chose you, okay? If anyone wants to pick that apart, Ensign's right here, okay? (laughs) I'll pass it over to him. But this justification is because God came to you. And this is an encouragement for us in the good times. You know, we praise God. Thank you that you chose me. I do not have to work for my salvation. And in the tough times, I cling to the fact that God, you chose me. You will not abandon me. And with that in mind, when we reread Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famineness, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors because what Jesus has done for us. But this takes us to point two. Hardship is real and it hurts. Knowing our salvation is secure brings home the impact of Paul saying, who shall separate us from the love of God? But from that secure position, Paul then introduces the themes of hardship and the realities of pains in this life. He talks about trouble, hardship, distress, persecution, nakedness, danger and sword. So why is Paul introducing this theme alongside the love of God? He's doing it because in various forms, each of us will have hardships within our lives. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome, to a people who would soon undergo terrible persecution, illness, imprisonment, and even death. Such circumstances as this would cause the, fear, um, cause the church to fear they had been abandoned by Christ. Can you relate? Has there ever been times in your life where you're like, God, this is so hard. Do you love me? And the truth of it is that all of these things that we, that we face in life, these hardships that we encounter, they don't just threaten to rob us. They do rob us. They're unavoidable almost. We live in a world that is not yet made perfect and there is pain. There is pain that we suffer as we go through it. And almost, <coughs> I haven't met anyone that has gone through life without some hardships along the way, some sort of pain. Because these hardships, they take away joy. They cause fear and they attack our faith. They can cause us to question, does God even love us? But what they can never do is take away our salvation. 
they can never, never, never take away that you have been made right with God and all the privileges that come with that. In my life, I would say I've already suffered quite a lot of trials and tribulations. When I was 25, I suffered a miscarriage. And if you believe, like me, that life comes at conception, then my husband and I have been robbed of a child in this life. That when my youngest daughter was five weeks old, she became poorly. And I took her to the doctors, and they said, it's viral, she'll be all right. But I knew, no, she's not all right. I remember crying to my mum, she's not all right, but they keep saying she's okay. And in the end, she ended up in intensive care in Addenbrooke's Hospital with the doctors trying to prepare her so that she might die. And I remember at the time just feeling so relieved that someone was helping her. But when I think back about what, how that could have gone, that still sits really heavy with me. Praise God, she was a textbook baby, they said, and she responded well to all the treatment. And now, even a few months ago, she got baptised. You know, like, she is amazing. She's doing really well. There's not... She is thriving. But that was still such a trial. Five years ago, my dad, he went to have an operation in London that should have improved the quality of his life. Three weeks later, he died. And that is so hard. You know, for you in the room... I don't even want to guess at what you're facing, but I know that you will be facing trials and you will be facing hardships, and they, they rob us. They can take away from our joy in life. They can take away our hope at times. You know, I know someone who's been suffering with tinnitus and they're grieving that loss of silence. You know, it doesn't necessarily always, it's not always death. It's not always illness. It could be the loss of your job. It could be worrying about someone else. It's not even related to you, but someone you care about. And you're like, how do I help them? God, come on, please. And these trials and these pains, they're real and they're part of our lives. But what they can never do is take away your relationship with God, your salvation, the hope that you have in him. Because God has initiated it. He has chosen you, and he's chosen you for good things. Because there are promises that are made throughout the Bible, and this truth is harmonized throughout that. So some of those are Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our lives are now hidden in Christ in God, Colossians 3. Eternal life has been given to us. We don't just live for today. John 10, that is. No one can snatch us from Jesus. He says to himself, no one can be snatched from me. And we have been saved by Jesus into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that is the eternal perspective that we can hold on to. Um, during 9-11, obviously, there was much tragedy, and many people died on those aeroplanes, and they left behind loved ones. 
And there is a, a quote I want to read to you of one of the widows um, who lost, she lost her husband on one of the 9-11 flights. And this is what she said. God knew the terrible choices the terrorists would make and that Todd Beamer, that's her husband, would die as a result. He knew my children would be left without a father and me without a husband. Yet in his sovereignty and in his perspective on the big picture, he knew it was better to allow the events to unfold as they did rather than redirect Todd's plans to avoid death. I can't see all the reasons he might have allowed this when I know he could have stopped it. But I don't like how... I don't like how his plans look from my perspective right now, but knowing he loves me and can see the world from start to finish helps me say, it's okay. If we believe wholeheartedly each moment that our destiny rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, the one with ultimate love and ultimate power, what do we have to be concerned of? Of course, our humanity clouds this truth many times, but hanging on to the glimpses of it keeps everything in perspective. God doesn't abandon his people in times of suffering. In fact, in my experience, he turns up all the more. The week prior to my daughter falling poorly, I was in the living room. I remember so clearly I was changing her nappy and... <coughs> I felt this really strong sense of death. I wasn't afraid, but I knew there was death there. And I cannot explain it more than that. So I prayed. I prayed for my family, and I prayed. At the time, my dad was still alive, and he was not very well, so I prayed for him. And I just prayed God's protection on everyone. Sure enough, as we know, she became poorly, and she... She, my daughter, ended up nearly dying. But that whole time, I was holding on to the fact, God, you told me death had come for her. Even though at the time I didn't realize it was for her. And yet I held on to him and, he came, and she came through. And, I, and this seems weird to say, but even if she had died, death is not the end of the story when we come to know Jesus. He has conquered sin and death. And, but knowing that God knows all things, he knew what was going on, brought such strength in that time to me. And after my dad died, I suddenly went into a panic that, oh no, God's horrible and he's got him in, locked in a room. It was really irrational, but he's got him locked in a room and he's been really horrible to him and then the Holy Spirit led me to read scriptures in the in the New Testament in the Gospels where Jesus says I go to my father's place and I prepare a room for you in my father's mansions I and he transformed this um, my perspective of actually my God is now um, my dad is now with God in his heavenly home you know like he was in a safe place also that Jesus says I come for you you know, even in that transition of life to death, Jesus never leaves you. He is with you that whole way. And God settled my fears in that moment. So in our suffering, God does not abandon us. But I do want to be honest and say that sometimes within suffering, we can feel an absence of the presence of God. But his goodness has not been removed from you. And part of the trial, almost, is that strengthening of faith. I am going to hold 
on to the truths of your Bible, of truths of your word, and, and I'm not going to let you go. Often we can, in those moments, look around and see who God has sent to support you, because he will have done. If you, if you open yourself up, there are people who will support you, and that is an act of God's love to you too. The Bible is there to hold on to and to encourage you and I. Uh, Psalm 94, this is a verse of encouragement. It was written, it's by an anonymous author of the Psalms, um, but it was written when, at a time where the author was living amongst wicked people and he was having a really tough time. It says, who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had helped me, I would have soon settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Circumstances may not change, but our perspective will when we hold on to Jesus and hold on to his word. Paul himself suffered, the author of Romans, suffered many trials. He was put in prison. He was whipped without number. He faced death lashings. He was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. He was left adrift at sea and had dangerous, many dangerous journeys. Which leads me to my final point. How is it that in, despite all these, circumstances, all these circumstances, Paul can declare, with Christ, we are more than conquerors? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As a conqueror, it means that your enemy is dead at your feet. But to be more than a conqueror means that that enemy gets up and serves you. And that is what this scripture is saying. The point here is that God doesn't just protect our souls from all the adversaries of life that we may face. He makes them serve you. And this relates back to um, what Tim was bringing last week, Romans 8.28, when it says God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Those things may not like it. It may make the devil mad that God is using those things for your good, but he absolutely is because he is the sovereign power. He is the one in control, and he is the one at work in each of our lives. And this is where we need to hold on to an eternal perspective. And Stuart's prayer this morning was absolutely like, yes, because that was also <laughs> well within this preach. Because Romans 21, it talks about how um, God, Jesus says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. And it says, behold, I am making all things new. When... We as Christians need to live with this eternal perspective. This is not the end of the story. This is part of the story, and these hardships that we face are being used by God 
as a sovereign act of his love to make us more like Jesus and bring us into a great reward in his glory where there will be no tears, no crying, no pain, no mourning. He will keep us and he will help us through it all to bring us to a place of complete peace with him. This applied to our lives is so important and it must be remembered each and every day. See, the pain of losing my dad is still there and actually Christmas is the hardest time because he loved Christmas. He loved having the family all together. I would say I still suffer some PTSD from seeing my daughter almost die and that's really hard but I don't grieve like someone without hope. I don't feel the pain in the same way because Jesus softens the blow. He, he's going to make it all new. He's going to restore all things. And for me, I know that I will see my dad again. He, he was a Christian, a real man of faith. But I just want to say, if you've lost someone who you don't know whether you'll see them again or not, we can never know what goes on between a man's soul and God, but we trust in a good God, okay? God is using the hardships of our lives, and we have choices to make in those hard times. We can give in to the grief and the pain of it, or we can rise up and praise God, and we can hold on to his word and say, declare, I am going to trust you because you have shown yourself to me as good, but this truth isn't just to be kept to ourselves because actually there is a world out there of people who feel hopeless and feel like that they are abandoned in their suffering. And to follow on a bit more of a quote from Lisa, the lady who'd lost her husband at 9-11, one of the things I found really interesting that she said was, um, on the Sunday, she'd been to a, a Christ-exalting memorial service that really lifted her spirits and gave her hope. But on the Monday, um, she went to a memorial service that was um, organised by the sort of the local council or whatever they have in America. <laughs> but as she said, this on Monday, as I listened to the well-intended speakers who were doing their best to comfort but with little, if any, direct reference to the power of God to sustain us. I felt I was sliding helplessly down a high mountain into a deep crevasse. As much as I appreciated the kindness of the wonderful people who tried to encourage us, that afternoon was actually one of the lowest points in my grieving. It wasn't the people or the event or the place. Instead, it struck me how hopeless the world is when God is factored out of the equation. We, in our suffering, can see that God is there and God is bringing comfort. And within that, we can then comfort others and encourage others Come and know Jesus. Come and know him for yourself. Come and see how much he loves you. Come and see how he has dealt with your sin, your grief, your guilt, and he wants to bring you into right relationship with him. So what can we do with this knowledge? Paul shared this both to prepare us and comfort us. And I hope this preach has gone some way to do that too. But three 
quick points. Meditate on God's word. So read the Bible and let it filter in. They say, I've heard it said, um, that the longest distance is from the head to the heart. We need to really get that into our hearts. And that is about spending time with God's word, which is made alive to us, and it speaks into our hearts. We're to, uh, my advice, and I speak, say this to myself too, don't go to God with an agenda of, God, I need you to speak exactly on this particular subject right now, because what is important, actually, is that you see something of God when you read the Bible. It doesn't always have to talk directly into your situation. You might be doing reading the Bible in one year, and you're stuck at numbers, which we all know is a very, well, it's a challenging book anyway, but it will tell you something of God, and so it is valuable to you. So read it and take it in. One thing in preparing for this that I found helpful is actually listening to Romans 8, audibly, um, the message version, because it just puts it into everyday language, and this truth is just fantastic, and going in and going in, and you're hearing it, and you're taking it in with your eyes, and it's, it's been so helpful for me. Another thing to help you, be part of a community. Be open to others. And be, be willing to be vulnerable in your struggles because I find it so refreshing when other people will tell me about their parenting struggles. Not because we like to moan about our children, but because it isn't easy. It isn't easy raising your children. So actually, it's refreshing to hear someone else say, I'm struggling with this. And that's something that relates to my life, but it might be work that you struggle with or the way someone's treating you. Be willing to be vulnerable because people want to help you and we're all in this together. God has given us the church to support one another. And reach out to others for prayer. This week, um, I was, uh, when I was at work, I was in a situation where a 14-year-old boy, he'd fractured his wrist and it needed manipulating back into place, not to make anyone cringe. So he was sedated and um, his parents were in the room with us. Now, one of, the th <coughs> one of the things about when you're sedated is when you start to come round, your inhibitions are a bit lowered. So you start talking <laughs> quite openly, and you often prepare parents because they could be a bit shocked about what comes out of, this, of their children's mouths, or anyone's mouths. Anyway, so um, as the sedation started to wear off, the, the boy, he looked me stra straight at me and he said, thank you, Lord Jesus. And I thought, oh my gosh. And, um, and then his mum was like, we're not, we're not religious or anything, but sometimes he prays. He was like, no, that's fine, that's fine, that's okay. A bit later on, he's chatting away and, and you know, he's like, hi, Dad, you know, like just being really like bold. And um, his mum's going, oh, he's such a lovely boy. He's a really lovely boy. And then, and then he goes, um, guys, I just need to stop. I'm, I just, I need to pray. And so we all stood there quietly and he was like, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for getting me through this. Thank you for helping me as with and the, all these wonderful doctors and nurses. I thank you for those who can't be with us, but, you know, and all this and so on. And then he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And his mum went, is this normal? <laughs> and, um, and we were like, 
Oh no, it's, it's fine. But do you know what? It warmed my heart. You know what? I work in a secular environment. You do not hear that a lot. And I just was so blessed. And it again encouraged me, like the power of prayer. And that boy, he wasn't even raised within a Christian faith. And then he says to his dad, Dad, can I have a Bible for my birthday? I mean, I was like, I'll go and get you one. I'll get you one right now. But um, it just reminded me of the power of prayer. Like, it warms us from within. Like, just, it's so, so good. But ultimately, in our trials and sufferings, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Okay? You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.